I have three questions for you this morning. I don't want you to answer out loud because they're a little bit of a trick question. When I give you a trick question and you answer it, then you go, oh yeah, you got me. And I don't want you to be gotten. So here are the three questions. First one is, do you believe in angels? Do you actually believe in angels? Second question is this. Do you believe there are any angels in this room right now? And the third question is this. Why would angels be so excited and watching us? Understand, they're watching us. So let's get into the scripture and see if we can determine the answers to those three questions. Do you believe in angels? Second, are there angels in this room right now? Third, why would angels be so excited? Why would they get so worked up over watching us? So here we go. First Peter chapter 1 verse 12. Now I got to kind of back up almost a little bit because we don't know what, you know, it says when we use the word them there. You don't know what the them are unless you know the verses before it. And the them in this case are the... Uh, the uh, Old Testament prophets that predicted the coming of Jesus Christ. There's so many scriptures that talk about the coming of Jesus Christ. And, and so it says that the Spirit of God was in them revealing to them uh, that uh, who was, uh, you know, who was coming. So this is the story. So let's get to verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Now, you have to ask that third question is, is that why would they want to look? Why would they want to look at us? Well, as a rule, we don't talk about angels very much. As a rule, I mean, I say that it's not a rule, but what I'm trying to say is just common practice. We don't talk about angels except at Christmas. And then it seems like we talk about angels all the time. You know what I'm saying? It's angel, angel, angel. It's like Christmas time. That's what we're going to get. Angels, angels, angels. And so what has happened is, is that when we don't talk about it, I guess, and we don't give you a good angelology, what we do is, is that we give most of our theology over to the media. And I'm talking about entertainment media. And the entertainment media wants to anthropomorphize angels, that is, make them like human beings, make them like man. And they are not like man. I mean, they may look like man at some times, and they may, that sort of thing may happen, but they're not like man. And so when they have a movie that says that an angel falls in love with a woman, you know, he's going to give up his being an angel for this. In other words, I'll give up an eternity for her. It sounds like a great romance uh, movie. But it has no, no dealings with reality at all. See, Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty, 30, he says, he was talking about people in the resurrection, people, but he says what they'll be like. He says, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Angels don't have those romances that go on that they say that they do in, that they say in the movies. And I know that some of you are probably going to point to uh, Genesis six two, and I was going to leave this alone. I'll be honest with you. But there was such bad theology in them, and this morning in a, in a uh, in a Baptist publication that I thought that I just needed to bring it out because I mean the reality is this. In uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 2, it says that the sons of God 
thought that the uh, the daughters of man were beautiful and they decided to marry them. I'm not giving you a quote, that's just basically what it says. And some of the people want to say, well, that were those were the angels, the angels, even the fallen angels. They said that were the angels that what they did was that they they uh, thought that the, uh, the women looked good and they decided to marry those that they chose to marry. Uh, but that negates the very scripture that Jesus already said right here. I mean, he's, he's got it right here, that they're not like that. Now, here's the situation when you want to interpret the scripture. Do you understand when you have to interpret the scripture, you have to interpret the scripture within its context. The one is the context within, within that, that verse, then the context possibly in that chapter, then the context of that book, then the context of the whole Bible. See, the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. And when you find this verse that we find in Matthew chapter 22, verse 30, it negates that possibility. So what is the answer to that? Well, the answer is, is that the sons of God in this case, now I'm going to give you another case where that's not true because you have to do it in context. Remember that not just the words that are there, but you got to do it within context. But this case, the sons of God were the, uh, the uh, sons of, um, of Seth and Enos. Seth and Enos were of the godly strain of after Adam, I mean, Adam's sons. And the, the ungodly, if you want to call them that, are the ones that were the daughters of man, not the daughters, not the sons of God, but the daughters of man. Uh, they were the, uh, the daughters of Cain. Remember who, what Cain was, what Cain did? You know, he, he was the murderer. You know, so this was the situation that is there. And so this was, in fact, is, is that most of the people say when they look at, at uh, Genesis 6-2, it's telling how people got to the point where they were so wicked that God had to destroy the earth with a flood. That's, the, that's how it gets there. Because when the godly compromise, wickedness prevails. Understand that. When the godly people will compromise, wickedness will prevail. And it happens all the time. And this is the story on that Genesis 6 too. So what I'm trying to say here is, is that don't go around and say, well, you know, angels marry and they do this. And, and like they have in the movies, because it's just not true. I'm not going to give you a total angelology this morning. But I'm going to tell you a little bit about the angels. See, when we see who angels are and what they're assigned to do, then maybe we can understand why they would want to look at us and want to see what God is doing when he saves us. So here's where we're going. Angels were created by God before the creation of the world. Now, before you get to uh, Psalm 148, verse 5, there is, it talks about angels. So when I use the word them here, the word them is the angels again. It says, it says let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. See, they were created from the very beginning. You know, understand there is no, there are no pre-existent angels. In other words, God is pre-existent, but he created angels. Now, the reason behind that is the scripture is very clear on how we give our allegiances. In other words, we give our allegiance to our creator. Okay, look, let's go through the rest of the Bible and see if that, that pans out. How many times in the Bible does it say to obey and to honor your parents? Okay, they're the ones that brought you into this world, right? They're the ones that brought you into this world. And just as they, were, they, they brought you into this world, so did God bring the angels into this world. 
He created them. And there is a commitment to God that the angels have because of, and righteously have, because he has brought them into the world. Now, you understand, and I'll give you another thing. This is out of the movies. Why is it that there are so many dystopian um, movies of a future in which there are artificial intelligences that rebel against their creators? Do you understand? Do you know why? We rebelled against our creator. We're just retelling the story of our own lives at this point. We didn't do what God wanted us to do. We rebelled against our creator. You see, so in the right order of things, God, the creator, created the angels. And he created us too, by the way. He created the angels and we have an allegiance to him. Our parents brought us into this world and we have an allegiance to them. So so what I'm trying to say is this is a natural order. They were not pre-existent. They would have put them on the same plane as God. But angels are still, angels are eternal beings. We go to the next verse, the Psalm 145.5, and then 148, rather, 5, and then 148.6. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. Angels do not die. Therefore, we see Gabriel speaking to Daniel, and about 530 plus years later, he's talking to Mary. You don't have to worry about him passing away. You don't worry about him getting older or anything along that line. So they are eternal beings. In fact, angels were present at the creation of the world. At the creation of the world. Okay? In Job chapter 38, verse 6, it says, On what were its bases sunk? Talking about the world itself. Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now, in this case, the sons of God are the angels. Now, you're going to say, how do you know that? Let's put it into context here. Okay? Mankind was not created before the creation was created. Do you understand? They could not be the sons of God in the sense that they were human beings. You realize God's creation order is that he creates what is necessary for that creation before he creates the creation. Okay, I'll give you an example. Which was created first, water or fish? Water. You understand? Because he created the, the environment for that, the fish, and then he created the fish to go in it. And you can look through the, the Genesis story. You're going to see that what God has done, he provided first, then he made the creation. He provides and his creation. And by the way, folks, anytime you're in a, in a prayer and you've got a need, do you understand he's already has the provision? He, picks, he makes the provision first. Then you come along and you have the need. That's the way that this works. So anyway, so this is, the, this is the story that we have here. So thus, when we realize that when God is in this creation business, God does not do this without purpose. This is not God saying, he's not out there just, you know, shooting marbles. He's not out there just rolling dice. He's not just out there saying, you know what, let's see what happens next. He's not doing it. He's not flipping coins or anything like this. He's got a purpose. So God has a purpose for angels. Now, the, the word angel actually means messenger. 
And, when, and throughout biblical history, we see angels being messengers to people. We have Gabriel delivering the messages to Daniel. We have Gabriel delivering the messages to, to Mary. And we have angels at the, when the, you know, the shepherds, they, they're out there with the shepherds and they, they tell the shepherds at the birth of Christ. They've they got angels when Gideon is called. You got, you know, you got angels all over the place, you know, and they're giving the, they're giving the, uh, they're, they're giving the messages of God. So angels are God's messenger. Then, and angels are also, angels are given the responsibility of looking over us. They're given the responsibility of looking over us. Hebrews 1.14 says, talking about them, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? You see, here's the situation. You don't get your ministering angels at uh, your salvation. You understand what I'm saying? God knows if you are going to be saved. And God gives you those angels. When does he give you those angels? Well, let's go and let's look. Angels watch over us from the time we are children. I'm going to give you a scripture or backup of everything I say here. You see, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 10, Jesus said, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So here's the story, folks. These angels are in the presence of God, but they're looking at you. Now, I I look at that, and you know what I think? These were the first people, or not people, but the first entities to ever work from home. You understand? They have a virtual reality here, you know? We've got a virtual thing going on here. They're looking at the very face of God. And so this, the, your angel was assigned to you literally before the beginning of time because, you see, God knows who's going to be saved. He knows when they're going to be saved. He knows all of this sort of thing. And they are to watch over you. Now, this is far from a complete angelology. But let's go to the other side of this. That's the angels want to look, and that's what they do. But the message of the Messiah came to the Old Testament prophets by the Holy Spirit. If you were to look in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11, it says that they were taking what the Spirit of, of Christ was revealing to them. The Spirit of, of Christ was, was uh, indicating to them and predicting the sufferings of Christ. This is how they, they got this message together. And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit is God. This message reveals that these prophets were recording what God was saying them for the sake of those that they would never meet on this side of eternity. Do you realize how big that is? They're never going to see the people that they're preparing the message for. And now that's, that blows my mind because it's remarkable that most people, when you ever say anything to them and say, you must do this, what you must do this, you must do this. You know what they say to me or say to you or anybody else? What's in it for me? How am I going to know that this is going to do any good? And these Old Testament prophets received this message because of the Spirit of Christ which was in them. And they were writing this stuff down. They were, they, were, they were figuring this stuff out as they were doing it. And they were writing it down. And they were doing it never knowing you. Never knowing me. 
never even knowing when it was going to happen. Now, that is remarkable to me because somewhere down the line, somebody says, what's in it for me? Now, I read several stories of of people sacrificing themselves for the sake of others. I read stories of 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 a... of a soldier who kept going behind enemy line and bringing back wounded soldiers and bringing them out. But the thing is, is that he knew who he was saving. He was saving those people he was picking up. I read the story of a, of a pilot and, and that he, he uh, literally took his plane directly into the enemy so that he could save some people that were others in another place. But he knew who he was saving at the time. But see, Each of these others that I read about, they knew who they were saving when they did it. But these Old Testament prophets did not know who or when these messages were going to go out to you and to me and all of the other people that are out there that have given their lives to Christ. And yet they still delivered the message. Now, here's the situation. I'm not trying to cut these organizations down. But I can tell you that... Compassion International, for example, knows that if they show you a picture of a child, they got a much bigger chance that you're going to sign up for Compassion International and help that child. Nothing wrong with helping that child. That's not what I'm saying here. I mean, those people that show those, if you're up late enough, show those pitiful dogs and cats that have been misused. They know that if they show you those pictures of those dogs and cats that are being misused, you're much more likely to give toward whatever that organization is. Do you understand what I'm saying? But the Old Testament prophets didn't have that. You see, and what, what happened was God himself invaded, if you want to call it that, not overpowered, I'm not trying to say that, but he came into these people and they delivered the message as God led them to deliver this message. It is very much like when God came to Moses. You remember? God comes to Moses, not in an angel. And he didn't come in an angel in that burning bush. And why is that? It's a message of salvation. It was saving a whole, you know, people that are in Egypt at this point. And God comes himself. What I'm trying to say to you is, when it comes to salvation, God shows up. He does not send an angel. It's too important. And when God, and this is what I want to say to you, when God comes to you and tells you to tell your friend about Jesus, you should go do it. Because God's not going to send an angel to come tell you about it. He's going to send, he's going to come himself and he's going to say, I'm going to come to that friend when you're ready to tell them about Jesus. I'm going to come to that friend. He's not going to send an angel to tell that, that person about it. And, and the person who puts limits on what God can tell them uh, uh, to, uh, to do it hasn't responded to the call of God. You haven't even responded to the call of God. You can't put a limit on it. And when God calls you to salvation, you cannot say, well, God, I will, I'll get saved, but I'm not going. You know, I've told you this story. When I got saved, I thought I had the ability to say things to God. I was so wrong. I said, God, I'll get saved, but I'll never be a Baptist. You know, I don't want to be around that bunch of people. I could tell you that. I didn't want to be around them. 
And guess what God said? (laughs) You don't tell me what you're going to do. You want to be saved? You do what I tell you to do. And he doesn't send an angel to do this. See, for God supernaturally delivers a message of salvation. God brings us under conviction that we have sinned. It's not just something that you're kind of aware of. Honestly, folks, the people that are not here that do not know Jesus, they're not saying, oh, I think I'm a bad sinner. They're not thinking about that right now. Their lives are not like that at all. And what happens is, is that when you come under conviction, suddenly it becomes glaringly true to you. But until that happens, it's just some religious stuff. And it means absolutely nothing. When you come under conviction, you realize the estrangement from God and you want that relationship that you could have with God. See, that's not the kind of message that an angel can deliver. For salvation is a miracle, folks. For God gives a message that delivers the person being saved when the person didn't know what it was like to be saved. You see, no one knows what salvation is like until they have salvation. Now, in the, I found out during the break here, in the, in the Far East, uh, in the southern part of the Far East, I have to say that, they have a fruit called a durian. How many of you know what a durian is? Okay, some of you know what it is. Okay, you know what I'm talking about when I talk about a durian. Okay, when the durian... The durian, let me just tell you a little about the fruit. It smells so bad, they won't let you on the buses and the MRT in Singapore with it. In fact, they have signs up on the, on the it says, but, and, and I used to think they'd fine you for it. Maybe they will if you just want to stay on there. But, but what they'll do is they'll escort you off the bus or off of the MRT. You've got, you take the fruit. Now, you can throw the fruit away and get back on the thing, but you cannot carry that fruit. It stinks. It really, really stinks, I'll tell you a little bit more about it in just a second. And so, let me tell you something about the durian. I've had durian. It tastes wonderful. It is a wonderful tasting fruit. Now, I got to say it. I got to remember what I said in the last service because nobody got sick. Well, that's the best way to say it, I think. It smells like when somebody gets sick. Okay? So the problem with it is, is that if you're going to eat it, you got to get it past your nose. You understand what I'm saying to you? I mean, because your first reaction is, I'm going to not only not eat this, I'm going to send some other stuff to go with it. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so this is the thing that happens with the durian. Now, my Indonesian pastor that I had in, uh, when I was in Houston, it was part of our, church, well, our mission church that was there. Uh, he takes me out to get some durian, and he does this because he doesn't think I can eat it. You know, he thinks he's going to have a good joke with me. Now, here's what he said to me afterwards. He said, fun, most Americans can't eat this. And secondly, and I, I, I challenge you to go to an Asian market and get one today. Don't bring it to church. But anyway, but the, uh, the thing about it is, is that he said to me, tastes like heaven, smells like hell. I mean, this is the exact word for word what he told me. He said, this is what it's like. It tastes like heaven, smells like hell. You see, when a person is on the outside and they look at what it is to be a Christian, you know what it looks like to them? It looks like believing or trusting in someone they don't want to trust in. 
following a group of rules that they don't want to follow in and keeping them away from the things that they would really like to do. Do you understand? This is what it looks like to them. And what must happen is you've got to get past that when they're brought into conviction by the Holy Spirit. You see, what happens here is, is that you've got to get beyond the smell test. Because heaven is amazing. And what happens to the person once they know what salvation really is, is they go, I have a relationship with someone that loves me and continues to love me, who has died for me, who has for, for, and has for, uh, forgiven me of all my sins, who has a great future that has already prepared for me, that I can walk with, that I can trust in, that I, I can pray to, and all of those things that you realize what it is. But you've got to get past the smell test. You've got to get past that in order to do And my folks, that's a miracle. That's a miracle, and I don't know any other way to say it, but it's a miracle to do that. For <clears throat> angels have a deep concern for those they have been given responsibility for. You see, if you're given the responsibility of a child of someone that you deeply love, angels deeply love God, and you're, they're given the responsibility of, of you, and what happens to them is because God deeply loves you, they end deeply loving you. Now, when you deeply love someone, what do you want? You want them to have good things, don't you? And not only that, you want to see them. You want to watch them. Think about that just for a second. See, my wife changed into another creature several years ago. She became a grandmother. And what happens is when a woman becomes a grandmother is, is that they love their grandchildren like nobody's business. Have you ever, don't get around a grandmother. She'll bring out pictures. She'll bring out pictures and she'll start start showing you the pictures. And you're going to look at those pictures whether you want to or not. You're going to look at those pictures. You're going to see the videos that's going on. But here's what has happened in my life. Now, this hasn't happened yet, but I'm, I'm getting ready for it someday. Let's say I'm out in the yard, and I'm using a chainsaw, and I'm cutting down some limbs. And suddenly, I accidentally cut into my arm. I mean, I'm just going away, and all of a sudden, I cut in. And so, I go and say, i got to get a tourniquet on this arm right away. And my wife says, okay, I'll get a tourniquet. And one of my granddaughters calls. You know what she'll say? i got to get this. <laughs> now, you grandmothers out there are saying, what's the problem? <laughs> That's what you do. You understand? You see, here's the situation. You see, we want good things for those that we truly love. You know, and we want to watch them. You see, they want, we want, they want to watch what's going on. You see, but here's the situation. The message that God delivers, this message of salvation, is foreign to angels. Understand, it's foreign to angels. And the reason is they are eternally, they're eternal beings. They, they can't die. They're not going to die for the sins of other angels either. And God did not, will not, does not become an angel that will pay the wages of, of sin for an angel. Yet they have a will. And there have been some of them have been cast out of heaven. They are eternally damned. 
It says in Matthew 25, verse 41, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So that those devils, uh, those angels rather, who have followed Satan, have an eternal damnation, and they have no redeemer. And that is why the angels see the glory of God in his redeeming of creation. Realize that. They see that and it's amazing to them. These are the holy angels that did not fall from heaven. They have no envy. They have no covetousness in them. They are fascinated by salvation. And they, they will never receive it. They would never have received it if they'd fallen. But here's the crazy thing about it. They love to see you saved and 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 you saved. And each one of you. They love to see each and every one of you say, do you realize they watch it and they have joy in it every time it happens. Every time it happens. It's like a favorite movie that you watch over and over again and you still have joy in it every time you watch it. When I was in Nashville, I had a guy named Brett Carr. Brett Carr was a... um, I don't, uh, I don't know, some kind of a performance major, I guess, at Belmont University. And Brett had to put on a, a whole production for his, his senior project. It was, a, it was a big production. And he said, I want you to come to my production. I said, good. And he, I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm doing Singing in the Rain. And I said to him, Brett, that's my favorite movie. I've watched it so many times. That if you mess up just that much, I'm going to know it. I'm going to see that you did it wrong. And so, you know, Brett puts the whole production on. And when you do a production, it's on the live stage. It's not exactly the same. So Brett teaches himself how to tap dance. Now, I have seen this movie over and over again. And when he jumps up on the desk... And he starts tap dancing to Moses supposes his toes are roses and singing it at the same time. I wanted to jump up and yell, bravo, bravo, bravo. Because he was doing it so incredibly. And guess what? When the angels see us and they see us being saved, you know what they do? They jump up and they yell, bravo, bravo, bravo. They're excited. Do I have proof of that? Here's what it says in Luke 15, 10. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That's what happens over one person. Now, what would cause the angels to rejoice today? That they would jump up and they would say, bravo. Bravo. Would you be that person? Maybe you've been away from God. And you've been the sinner that repents. And they say, bravo to you. Because you came home today. Here's the thing. Your angel is watching you right now. 